Just a thought and a phrase out of Hebrews chapter 3 to begin with. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 13 simply says this. And the writer Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 95 when he quotes this. And it just says, Today, if you will hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice. I have good news. The God that we serve is a speaking God. Amen. He is a God who communicates through the work of His Holy Spirit. He is a speaking God. He is a communicating God. Today, if you will hear His voice. How many times do you read this phrase in Scripture? And the word of the Lord came to me. And the word of the Lord came to me. We need to expect to hear God speak to us. Amen? You can read it, Abraham, it says, And the word of the Lord came to me. Samuel, when he was a little child. Ezekiel said, and the word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah said, and the word of the Lord came to me. Elijah, and the word of the Lord came to me. Isaiah, and the word of the Lord came to me. Haggai, Zechariah, Jonah, all of these guys use that phrase, and the word of the Lord came to me. God is a speaking God. He is not a distant God. He is a God who speaks. Today, if you will hear his voice. I want to develop the theme this morning that God really does want to speak. And usually early in your Christian life, early in your experience of the things of the Spirit, when you're new into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Usually, at some point in your life, you will hear the voice of the Lord. It's one of the things of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We discover we have this ability to communicate with God. You know, if we don't know how to worship Him, we, God gives us the release in tongues to, to worship Him and to help us to pray and help us to worship and help us to praise the enabling of the Holy Spirit to speak to God. But in the mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit, there also comes this ability to hear the voice of God. Amen? We are Pentecostal. To hear the voice of God, the Spirit of the Lord speaking to us. And when you're first introduced into the things of God, into the things of the Spirit, normally you will have an experience of some sort where you will hear the voice of God of the Lord speak to you. Because God, early in your life, will place a call upon you. An indication that He wants to use you. An indication that He has something for you to do, and you're called into service. Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Jeremiah, when he was a youth, the word of the Lord came to him and gave him a vision. 
something he was to prophesy to the nation. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle. Very quickly after meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus, go into Damascus and I'm going to tell you some things, what you will be doing with your life. And God has a call upon each one of us. He has a purpose for each one of us. We are not meant to be saved and just to float along until we die and go to heaven. That God has got a purpose and a call, a commissioning to each and every one of us. Can I get an amen from that? We, we believe that. We're not just putting in time. These guys all heard the call of God come to them, and we don't, don't receive this call in the same way. We're individuals, and God will speak to us in different fashions, in different forms. Sometimes He speaks in a dream. Sometimes He speaks in a vision. Sometimes a prophetic word is spoken of your life. Sometimes you're just pondering the Scriptures, and a burden is going to keep rising on the inside of you, a strong desire. God can give you inner witness. I don't know too many people have heard audible voices. But God is not limited, but He wants to speak to you. I'll say it again, our God is a speaking God. Amen. And He wants to communicate with us. And I'm being repetitive here, but allow me to be for a minute. And when you're early introduced into the things of the Spirit, it is common for God to cause you to hear something about your life. He's going to speak a word specific to you that needs to shape the rest of your life. God is a speaking God. The Holy Spirit will bear witness with your spirit. You've heard my testimony, I'm sure, a few times. God gave me a vision when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. He gave me a dream when I was 16. And He had some powerful prophetic words spoken over my life when I was 18. And very, very early in my preteen and my teenage years, I experienced an abundance of the voice of the Lord speaking to me. I encourage the youth and the young people, get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Get baptized in the Spirit, because while you are young, God wants to put His Spirit, His voice in your heart and in your spirit, and it will radically change the rest of your life. And it's better to get it radically changed while you're a teenager than try to recover your life later. Amen? Radically changed by the voice of the Lord. And so there's a principle here in Scripture that God is going to impart in the way of His choosing a burden to go into your heart. But when God speaks to you in those initial beginnings, you're not getting the whole story. How many wish you got the whole story? You're not getting the whole story. For those of us who are older, I'm getting there. For those of us who are older and been in this for decades, you discover when you look back to what God said 40 years ago, 45 years ago, 50 years ago nearly, when you look back at what God said all those decades ago, and how your life has gone, you would never would have dreamed it would have taken you 
that route. How many can testify to that? You never would have dreamed it would have taken you that route. And here's the idea. God gives you a promise, but He does not reveal to you the purpose behind the promise, nor does He reveal to you the route you will take to get there. There's a lot to be found out, and you'll discover later in life that how it all fits together, but you will be convinced beyond all measure that God forgot to tell you a lot of things at the beginning. There's so much He did not tell you. What you did here is a tip of an iceberg, but you're getting the whole package, but you're only seeing the tip of the thing. There's far more that God did not speak to you than what He did share with you. And, but let me use this phrase. What you got was like a broken fragment. A little piece seemed to fall off, and that's what you got. It's a broken fragment. You know that my favorite story in the Old Testament is Joseph in the book of Genesis. God spoke to him twice when he was 17. 17. Teenager. Come on, youth. Baptize in the Holy Ghost. Seven. And God gave him two dreams. He did not, did he understand the meaning of them? No. Did he understand the impact of it? No. Did he understand the purpose of those dreams? No. And did he understand the manner in which they would be fulfilled? The answer is no, 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 no. All they know is God spoke to him, it got into his spirit, got into his heart, and when you hear the voice of the Lord, I can guarantee you it will never go away. Never. It will be the one constant thing in your life and you just can't get rid of it. Thank God for that. But there's a reason for it because you wouldn't go through the process of fulfillment if it could ever come and go with you. But it sticks with you. It sticks with you. God may give a call like He did dream as He did to Joseph. But God only gives a snippet, not the full story, just a fragment, a partial introduction. And it's not at all clear what the big picture looks like. It's like you discovered a broken piece of pottery. You're an archaeologist and you're doing this dig and, and you just come across this little broken piece of pottery and you look at it and you kind of feel the texture of it. You see the color of it. It's just a broken piece. It's jagged. It's... And you begin, you're so excited about what you found. Look, this treasure that I have found. This has got great historical value. This is a, a powerful thing. I mean, we're discovering history here. But the problem is you have no idea what, it, what the product is. And you have to use your imagination. What is this thing going to look like? And, and you've got to do some more digging and find all the other pieces, if you can find them, to recreate what it, what it was part of. That's how God speaks to you. You don't get the full picture. The Bible says we prophesy in part and we know in part. You're not getting the whole picture. There's a reason that God speaks to you in this way. Because there is a maturing process that must take place in our lives. There's a maturing process that must take place in our lives. Because God knows far better than we know that the ministry and the purpose to which He has called you is not so much a matter of ability 
Not so much a matter of gifting that you might have. You might be gifted in visions. You might be gifted in dreams. You might be gifted in scripture. You might be gifted in worship. But ministry is not so much a matter of gifting. But God knows far better than you and me that ministry is a matter of character. You minister more by what you are, not what your gift is. Amen? And so God has got to do a maturing process in our life to ensure that our character overreaches our gifting. Not equals, but overreaches our gifting and our character. In a very real sense, the person who gets a dream or a vision or hears the voice of God has a promise from God, in a very real sense, is not the same person who receives the fulfillment of it. And I don't mean that God just gives it to somebody else. I just means he changes you so much in the process that you won't even recognize yourself. There's a change that takes place. For instance, I want you to assume I am an extremely wealthy man. Now that takes an assumption. I want you to assume that I'm going to give you one billion sterling pounds as a gift. Do we have any takers this morning? I want you to assume, I'm just going to give you a billion, not a thousand, not a million, a billion. I'm just going to give it to you as a gift. I want to bless you. How many know that if you are not trained, it will destroy you? How many want to say, test me? (laughs) Give it a try. If you are not prepared, matured, and trained, such a blessing will be your destruction because it takes a principled character to handle wealth without destroying who you are. Why am I going to give it to you? If I give it to you, Will you promise to me that you will not become an independent, haughty, and arrogant person? Are you going to become a know-it-all that nobody can talk to? You can buy your way out of any situation. Are you going to let this destroy relationships? Are you going to become self-reliant, self-important, and never listen to anybody, and consume it upon your own lusts? What are you going to do with it? A study shows that people who win the lottery don't do so well after they win it. Destroys them. Destroys families. In other words, there's nothing wrong with the gift. But boy, you need to be changed greatly in order to be able to handle it. God speaks to us great things. Folks, God's will for our lives is far beyond anything we can think at all. Amen. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And God wants to use us in great ways. In great ways. He really, really does. But God will say something to us about our future, but rarely does He ever tell you why that He does it. In the meanwhile, God is maturing us to be able to handle the reception of it. But the problem for you and me, it's very confusing. It's because all we know is the promise, 
And what we do not know is what the promise fulfilled looks like, and neither do we know the purpose behind it. So God is working in our lives according to the fulfillment of the promise, according to the purpose it is fulfilled, which we know neither. We don't know either one. And we're back here with a promise, and we think our lives should go this way, this way, and this way, but God is shaping us for that day. And it's very confusing to you, and it's very confusing to me indeed. But nevertheless, that's what's happening. So how does all of this unfold? How many times do you read in the scripture where the word is likened to a seed? The incorruptible seed of the word of God. The sower sows the seed. And when God causes you to hear his voice, it is like a seed in your life. The initial vision that God gives you comes always in seed form. But how many know the flower doesn't look at all like the seed? I can give you a seed, and if you don't know what that seed is, you have no idea what it's going to look like when it grows. Isn't that right? God's put a seed into your heart, and you have no idea what it's going to look like when it grows. But it is there. You have a seed. You don't know. But what we do know is it will be over time, progressively revealed. And as it is progressively revealed, you're going to have to, in your life, go through constant adjustments. As your comprehension grows, as your understanding grows, you're going to be making constant, constant, constant adjustments. Because every time a little more of the, the revelation becomes known to you, it requires change and patience on our part. That's just the way it works. Or, to say it in what we've heard recently, the old wineskin of how you used to do things has got to go. You can't hold on to it. Because as the will of God emerges in your life, it takes new shapes and new forms, and if you get addicted to the way God used to do it, you're a loser. You have to learn to move and change and adjust with what God is doing. If I was to learn how to run races, <laughs> you just can't see it, can you? <laughs> because you know that I like my food. You know that my lifestyle is not very physical. You know that I spend most of my life sitting down at desks and across tables from people. And uh, you just know that's not a good combination for exercise. You know that. But if I was to become a marathon runner, God knows how much I would have to change. Wouldn't I? I'd have to have a different mindset. I'd have to have different desires in me. I have to have a certain will to do things that I really don't care for. I mean, I'd have to really, really change in a lot. But here's the problem. Because I've been like this for so long, for decades, I, my, my job is sitting at a chair, sitting at a desk, sitting across tables from people that is not very active physically. And I am so conditioned for it that even if I make a breakthrough one day, 
and get out and jog for a mile or huff and puff for a mile or, or crawl for a while, whatever I do. You know that I can have a breakthrough and, and, and do something like that, but unless there is a change on the inside of me, I will fall back to my default position that I've got very comfortable in. And it's hard to shift gears. Hard to shift gears. But if we want to go from the seed to the fulfillment of what God has said, you are going to have to shift gears several times in your life. You will. You will go through multiple changes. If God is giving you a word about aggressive praise and aggressive worship and getting out of your shell and opening your soul in public and learning to praise God loudly because God is great and He's greatly to be praised. And one Sunday you have a breakthrough in it. How long will it take you to fall back to your old default position? It's not a one-time experience it's a change in the inner man. An adjustment. Because it's until you retrain your muscles, you go back to your default position. And to get into the Word of God and the will of God, several adjustments like that have to be made in our lives. We talk about Joseph. What about Abram? God spoke to him, I'm going to give you a land, a people, make you a great name. I'm going to be a blessing to you. And in all of you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He got a word from the Lord. Do you think he had any clue what it meant? Could he appreciate what God had said to him? Did he even know the land that he was supposed to go to? The Bible says he went out not knowing where he was going. And when he got to the land... God said, this is the land, and I think Abraham said, gee, thanks a lot. Because it was in a time of famine, and it was disastrous condition when he saw it for the first time. So he said, I'm out of here, I'm down to Egypt. You know? And he couldn't appreciate the fullness of everything that God had said. When Saul of Tarsus on that Damascus road, did he understand when it said, you're going to appear before me, three days later, Ananias comes to him with a prophetic word, and you're going to bear witness before me, before kings. And I'm sure he was going, wow, I'm going to stand in front of royalty. I guess he didn't understand that he would go in chains, not first class, to stand in front of royalty. How he got there, God didn't tell him how, just that he would. God didn't tell him how. But I like this, when he testifies later in life, he would say this, and you can find this in Acts 26, verses 16 to 19. He says, there's one thing that kept me. I have never been disobedient to that heavenly vision. Referring to how God spoke to him at his conversion. God put something in him that talked about his future. But he didn't understand all what it meant, how he would get there. But the thing, it was in him. And he says, I have never been disobedient 
to that heavenly vision, though I did not understand how it would unfold, when it would unfold, what it would look like, and what the purpose of it was. I'm not sure. I was never sure. But I've never been disobedient because that voice of God is in my heart and in my soul, and I cannot deny it. And I've never been disobedient to it. What a powerful, powerful statement. What I want to do is, is unpack for you this morning the story of Old Testament Israel. And I want to see how, so how this works in the example of Old Testament Israel. You and I know because we can read the Old Testament that before the nation was even conceived, God had a destiny for it. Before Abram ever had a son, there was a call upon this yet-to-be-born nation. The word of the Lord came to somebody named Abram. You can read it in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 to 3. Abram, leave your country, leave your family, leave your kindred, Unto a land that I will show you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. The purpose of that is I am going to bless this nation. So that through this nation, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now wait a second. God even told the purpose of why he would make a great nation. Not just that he would, but the purpose was also told. This is rare in scripture. The purpose, through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In other words, I'm not making you great for your own sake. It's not about you. You're not so much the object of my blessing, but you will be the vehicle of my blessing. My goal is the salvation of the whole world. My goal is the salvation of all the families of the earth. And not that I'm putting to you in a seed where I'm asking you to make adjustments. I'm asking you to leave your country. I'm asking you to leave your family. And I'm asking you to follow me step by step, not knowing where it's all going. I'm going to ask you to do that because ultimately my goal is this. It's the salvation of the entire world. Wow. Not just a calling, but a destiny and a purpose behind the calling. The question is, did that sense of destiny enter into the mind of this nation? Did it become the ruling factor of their soul? Was that vision fixed in their consciousness? Did it become the ultimate goal to which they directed all of their energies? God said that in Genesis 12. God repeated it in Genesis chapter 22. After Abraham was to offer up Isaac, later he repeated it to Isaac, and later he repeated it to Jacob. And in the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is to be a great nation coming from these men. And the purpose of that great nation was that they would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It was said not once, not twice, not three times, but at least four times to these men about the purpose of the call of God. The word of the Lord 
came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. If you lose that word of God, if you let it die, if it gets forgotten or ignored, the problem is God hasn't forgotten it, and God hasn't ignored it, and He's moving your life that direction, whether you understand it or you don't understand it. He's moving your life that direction. But if you have lost sense of this word from the Lord in your heart, no matter how often the years go by, life will end up a struggle and a turmoil to you because God is definitely working according to a different agenda than what you and I have. Whether we understand it or not, He works according to His agenda. And so that word has got to be kept alive in us. And it won't go away. I mean, if I start probing into your consciousness, and if I start probing into your desires, and I start probing into your early experience in the Holy Spirit, if I start probing where your life has been, and if you would be honest and open enough to me about the depth of desires that you have, they're there. They're there. They just don't go away. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we get so busy in the present life that it no longer rules our decision-making process in life. But it's there. And I want to stress, you have all got a call of God on your life. There's gifting, there's purpose for each and every one of us. Amen. The Spirit of God deals with our hearts. And the Word of the Lord comes to us. And you're just not going to ignore it. And you can't ignore it. It really is there. And I hope one of the results this morning is to stir up the gifts and those desires and those callings that are in us. Israel, how well did it do? Well, let's go forward in our history after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the story of Joseph and they're in Egypt. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt there, is getting worried about the population growth of Israel because they're multiplying so quick and so fast. And and there's going to be a population imbalance here. So they decide to enslave the people. And then for 430 long, cruel, torturous years, the nation has become subject to slavery. When Moses came along with a vision, with a word from God, God appeared to me in a burning bush. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, and it's time for deliverance, and it's time to get out of this place. What was the concern that was in the heart of the people at that point? Were they concerned about being a blessing to all the families of the earth? Do you think that was in their heart, in their mind, and in their conscience? Do you think? Or can we read the scriptures and find out what their concern was? I tell you what their concern was is, get me out of here. I want freedom. I want deliverance. God, if you care at all, do something to set me free from this situation. And their only concern was to get out of the immediate problems they were in. Now, they did not know that coming out of Egypt was only phase one, step one, 
of getting into the promised land, possessing the land for God, and being the blessing to all the families of the earth. In God's mind, that was just step one. They'd have to go through a few other steps and constant adjustments and constant learning and costing maturing along the way until they could fulfill the purpose for which God had called them a nation. God's working according to this in mind, but all they've got in mind is this. Get me out of here. And God is compassionate. And there came a season of revival. Have you ever seen the signs and wonders on the same level as the story of the Exodus? Have you ever seen it on that level? The greatest manifestation of power the world has ever seen. The ten plagues upon Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea. The drowning of Pharaoh's army. I mean, my goodness, what a demonstration of power. Supernatural, mind-blowing miracles. You should have been there to see it. Deliverance was powerful. Demonic forces vanquished. People being healed left, right, and center. Revival, revival, revival. God is a mighty warrior and nothing is impossible. What a thrilling stage to be in. But folks, that's not the end. That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. It's necessary to break the powers of darkness in your life. It's necessary to be filled with the power of God, to know the might of God. But that's not the goal, not to set you free. The goal is for you to become a people through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's just stage one. But here's our problem. Since our consciousness is not about our destiny, but our consciousness is filled with our need for deliverance, revival can get addictive. And we can have revival with no sense of purpose. It's all about me. God is here for me. Not that I am here for God for the sake of the nations of the earth, but God is here for me. A little child would say, all this is for my sake. We're not seeing the big picture. And we have yet to learn that it's not for our comfort's sake that God does this. But the reason He does this is because He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the purpose of that covenant is this nation is to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. They did not know that they were to be a kingdom of priests for the sake of the families of the earth. They did not know that the, how they would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth was not so much by the miraculous, but by demonstrating the character of God. You see, God was more concerned what they could be more than what He could do for them. And they were to adopt the law take it into their lives so that they would have the character of God, so that they would appear to the rest of the world as the most merciful, compassionate, loving, forgiving people the world has ever seen. And that's how God would make himself known to the rest of the world. But they didn't get that. They didn't understand that. They became enamored with the miraculous. 
So they didn't know that they had to go through training. They didn't know they had to go through maturing. They didn't know they had to go through Bible study. They didn't know they had to go through prayer. They didn't know have to do any of that kind of stuff whatsoever because it wasn't in their heart. It was just revival. Just a sense of revival. The Bible teaches us without vision, people perish. Without vision, people cast off restraint. Without the fixed goal of the word of the Lord in our lives, we go all kinds of directions and we waste our lives and we waste our time. Since the land was not important to them, listen to this, they had no heart to move forward. Since the land was not important to them, They were shaped by their own small and selfish vision of being comfortable. Since the goal was not important to them, they had no heart to draw nigh to God, no heart to learn of His ways, because they had no sense of destiny, no heart for prayer meetings, no heart for church, no heart for Bible study, no heart for any of these kinds of things, simply because the goal, they've lost it. Just present living instead of the destiny to which God had called the nation. What's the result? What, was, what happened to that generation that came out of Egypt? They were critical, judgmental, argumentative, rebellious people that are described in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 20 as people in whom is no faith. Wait a second. That's the generation that saw the greatest revival the world has ever seen. And over their gravestone on the tomb is written, People of no faith. Can you believe that? Is that possible? People in whom there is no faith. They died in the wilderness, coming short of their destiny. Short of the glory of God. Full of weakness, full of unbelief, till they perished in the wilderness. They never embraced the big picture, and they wasted their life in repetitive wanderings, never getting close to the purpose of God. Well, what about the generation that was born in the wilderness? That did, through Joshua, and get into the promised land. What was their concern? Did they hold on to this destiny? Were they controlled by a heavenly vision of God's big purpose? It seems that, you read the scripture, their overriding concern was not, how can I be a blessing to all the families of the earth? Their concern was, how do I get out of this wilderness? I'm sick and tired of manna, manna in the morning, manna at noontime, manna at night. Baked manna, fried manna, how... I mean, how, how many ways can you make manna? You know, and this, I, I'm tired of this. And I'm not knowing that the wilderness was a training experience. They had gone from revival not knowing that the wilderness was a training experience so that the things of their heart would be exposed. 
that God would teach them that man does not live by bread alone. Because when they got into the promised land, the temptation was going to be, oh, this is for me, for me, for me. And they were supposed to learn in the wilderness that man doesn't live for that stuff. Man does not live by bread alone. But he lives by the word of God. And God has spoken a word about their destiny. And that's what they're to live for. And that wilderness was to train them not to be preoccupied with the blessing. Man doesn't live there. He lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But they didn't get that. And if God would have given the promised land without that lesson, then they would abuse the land and they would not conquer it for God. They would conquer it for themselves. They didn't have a heart for the promise, the destiny. They possessed the land for themselves. You are familiar with the book of Judges. In chapter 1, what's the first thing you're going to learn reading through chapter 1 of the book of Judges? That they did not obey God about how to possess the land. They were to take it for God. And to take it for God, that means you have to get rid of the Canaanite religion. And what they did is they made treaties with it. Instead of ridding the land of the Canaanites, what they did is they made slaves of the Canaanites so the slaves could work the land to give them the wealth. They did not possess it for God. They possessed it for themselves. They fell short. They didn't let that word of the Lord drive them, shape them. What's the result? Well, the book of Judges is a horrible book to read. But read it, we must. Because they kept falling into bondage after bondage after bondage. And church life became a cycle of revival and backsliding, revival and backsliding, revival and backsliding. And they cried out to the Lord in their bondage, but they did not cry out through repentance. They cried out in pain. And God is so merciful that he set them free anyway, even though they had no interchange of their heart. And he set them free, but the problem was, without that interchange, each bondage gets greater and greater and greater. And how does the book of Judges end? We know how it begins. Do we understand how it ends? There's only one time in the book of Judges where the nation, the 12 tribes, came together as one people. Only one time. There's only one time in the book of Judges where they all united for a single purpose. You know what that was? Civil war. That's the only time they came together was civil war. Why? Because they were too busy possessing the land for themselves, not for God. And so we have this cycle of self-destruction. What a horrible history for the church to follow. we got to know the purpose and the destiny of God. Well, what about the generation that was born uh, in the promised land? Did they fare any better? Were they controlled by that word of the Lord, that sense of destiny? Well, the sad commentary was this, that they saw the land as they saw themselves as the object of blessing, not the vehicle of blessing. The temple was supposed to be a house of prayer, 
for all nations. But they claimed it as their exclusive right. They claimed it for themselves. What's the result that happened to that generation? Well, you know your Old Testament. A spiral of sin until the entire nation was taken away in captivity. They had wasted their lives. Why? Because they couldn't live according to destiny. I don't want to put in time. I don't want to put in years. I've got purpose to fulfill. I'm not waiting for retirement. I don't plan on it. I've got good examples back here. I don't plan on it. I'm looking for purpose to be fulfilled. We've got to be alive to that purpose because you see there's a word from the Lord that God spoke in your life a long time ago. Long, long time ago. He put something in you. He gave you a desire. He gave you a burden of some sort. God is shaping your life for the fulfillment of that call whether you realize it or you don't realize it. He's working with you according to that agenda. What I don't want to do if God wants me to learn marathon races I hope he doesn't but if he does folks I got some serious relearning to do in my life. I mean it's serious. I've got to not like my food so much. I've got to change mentally. I've got to change physically to the point where it's not just try, but to the point I'm converted. So that those days when you get weary, those days when you get tired, you just don't default back where you were before. If God is leading us into the gifts of the Spirit, it's not good to keep quiet in church services. If God is leading us in aggressive praise, it's not good to get traditional. If God wants to birth things through us, it's not good to contain it within ourselves. We don't want to fall back. We want to get converted. Leave the wineskin behind. Get converted and make it a new lifestyle. And then we'll discover God will take us to other lessons. Oh, I do need Bible study. Oh, oh, yeah, I need to get to know the Word better. But, you know, I'm just not a thinker, and I just, you know, I'm just not a... I'm just... I'm just... You got to convert. And then after that, there's something else in our lives. Well, I got to convert. And, and we this maturing and changing process in our life. And we're always being reshaped and reshaped and reshaped and reshaped. Because God's got a goal in mind. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a purpose. There's a call. There's an anointing upon your life. And He's doing everything needed in your life to bring you to the ability to release it to the fullest potential as you serve the purpose of God. But it takes constant, patient readjustment in our lives constantly. I don't want to slip back because that's what I'm used to. Follow what I'm saying? Joseph did not die in the wilderness, so to speak. Joseph is an example of a person who had to make many adjustments 
But in the end, folks, he was a blessing to all the families of the earth. They were starving to death, and Joseph was able to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. He had no idea that that dream meant prime minister of Egypt. He had no idea that he would save nations in a time of famine. He had no idea. And God has called us, we, you and I have no idea of what he really wants to use us. But I want to say this, he can do exceeding abundantly above all that you're asking and all that you're thinking. Amen. I mean, don't think too little of what God wants to do through you. Let that promise, let that voice, let that, that gift of God that we're the Lord fan it into flame. Paul says, stir up the gifts that are in you. Don't let them die. Stir them up and keep them alive. Neglect not the gift that is in you. Fan it into flame. God has got something for us. Why didn't Joseph, when he was so many years, ten years serving in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife comes to tempt him day by day by day by day, why didn't he just cave into it? Who's going to know about it? Is uh, Potiphar's wife going to squeal? I doubt it. Who's going to know about it? Why can't you just go ahead and do it? And he had to choose to be righteous when nobody would notice he was being righteous. He doesn't even get any credit for being righteous. Why didn't he do it? I'll tell you why. Because he said, I cannot do this in the sight of God. That word was in him. That promise, that voice was in him. And he could not deny it. And he says, I've got to be true to this voice. I've got to be true to what God has placed in me. The word of the Lord sustained him. So he went through various stages. He had a promise but not know the purpose. He went to the pit. He went to Potiphar's house. He went to prison. He went to the palace. That's the letter P all the way through, you noticed. And he becomes prime minister. Why? Because he let that word govern him. It was in him all the time. He had to adjust. He had to let go of old wineskins more than once, didn't he? He had to embrace something new and fresh in his life until it became habit, lifestyle to him. No possibility of falling back because he was thoroughly converted to a whole new way of doing things and a whole new way of lifestyle. His faith had to adjust in the process. His spirit had to be refired many times in the process. But his vision was progressively enlarged until he had learned to live in the ultimate of what God had for him all these years later. So let's be true to that word from the Lord. Keep it in front of us at all times. Be faithful to do it. Because if we do, we will arrive like Joseph. Let me conclude. I want to stir up those memories of your early days. I want you to think of that season in your life where the Spirit of God was so real. I want you to think in those things that He spoke to you and put into your heart and put into your spirit. And God's not going to let them die. But He has intention. He has purposes. He's got plans for us. 
we have to get converted so many times in the process and change wineskins so many times in the process. But it's real. It's real. And it's worth living for. It's worth fighting for. It's worth going through the process. And the word of the Lord came to me. Amen? And the word of the Lord came to me.